and welcome back to Grit Iron Gamble, the only podcast that puts its money where its mouth is. I'm your host, Rich Ryan, and I'm joined by one member of the collective to gloat and to tell us how wrong we were about Sunday Night Football. It is Donnie D.P. Peters. We had a winning week, boys and girls, three and two in the Las Vegas Super Contest, bringing us to 20, 28, and two clawing on our hands and knees trying to get back to 500 brett a goat once again but in the best way possible he is simply the greatest of all time four and one against the spread he improves to 26 22 and two and he got both of his lone wolves correct so he is 11 and two on the season on lone wolves uh I was the only other winner amongst the top five at three and two. Donnie was two and three. Mo one and four. Maybe that's why Mo did not join us this morning. Maybe that's why he is sleeping in an embarrassing one and four performance for Mo. But Donnie, I will give you the reins. I will hand it over to you. Go ahead. Tell us about Sunday Night Football, how wrong we were. Let's start with that game. Well, there there are very few times. I mean, I'm I'm on the Patriots a fair amount in in the course of in our in our lifespan at Gridiron Gamble. But there are very few times that I'm so adamant about the Patriots. And this is one of those weeks I was I just couldn't I couldn't believe you guys clicked the Broncos so much that it got them up on the card. It just it doesn't make sense to me. That team was just that team is a total shell of itself. They just have no fight in them whatsoever. No heart as we would like to say on the podcast here. And, yeah, I mean, the, the Patriots, they're, they're doing what they do every single year. I mean, listen, they don't look like the Super Bowl team that we've become accustomed to. They do have a lot of dents in the armor. That is fine, but they are hitting their stride much more so, just like they do every single year in November. This is kind of when they turn it on. They always get off to a slow start. And then, you know, come playoff time, they, they got everything running as best they can, and they'll make a run because, honestly – Sunday night is what happens every single year against the Patriots is other teams. They just shit themselves. That's just, basically what happens. Hitting, then, the, hitting their stride by getting lucky on special teams. That's the plan. I mean, yeah, it, it's okay. I, I understand that there's an element of luck to it, but at the end of the day, I mean, Rich, you're in the Skype chat all the time just talking about the Patriots aren't good. The Patriots aren't good. Yeah, I, I get it. Okay. I, I understand that's how you feel, but <laughs> the Patriots are, the most consistent team in the NFL year in and year out. And they just like, if there's a scale of one to a hundred, the Patriots are consistent 85. And there are going to be teams that are, you know, 90 plus every single year that might be better than them on any given day. But the fact remains that people just, they play new England and they just totally shit themselves. They mess up on special teams, which is a total joke. They drop the the best defensive player in the game back in coverage instead of having him rush the quarterback. Like they just do dumb, dumb, dumb things. Whether it's coming into Foxborough, whether it's at home on their own field, and you know the Patriots just kind of maintain and then wait till the other team just blows their dicks off every single week. You know that's the best New England take you've ever had, and I completely agree with you. They are the most consistent team in the league, and you know why? Because of coaching, and Belichick's the yeah. greatest, and and that's what. Well, also, I mean, listen, I know you don't like Tom Brady, but coaching quarterback for having that for however long that they've had that, going back to two thousand one. I mean, that's just you don't see that in the NFL, of course. And, and so much preparation and leadership has to go into an NFL team for them to be 
that consistent. To your point, we don't see coaches and quarterbacks last that long. We don't see one of either last that long in the league. Head coach lifespan is seems like two and a half years for new guys nowadays, quarterbacks even less, whether it be by injury or due to poor play. So that consistency is, has totally been there for New England. And maybe that's the root of my annoyance uh, as to how the Patriots keep winning because they should be so beatable. Uh, if any other coach had a brain, if any other team could just get it together because if you look, if you watch that game, on Sunday night, those two teams, like, they weren't that different. Like, their deficiencies, the New England defense is really bad. So, it's a great cure for a bad offense. And that's why we saw Brock Osweiler and the Broncos actually move the ball. These teams were even in yards per play. Patriots at 5.9, Denver at 5.6. So, it wasn't like they got outperformed on offense or defense. It was those special teams blunders, but that's coaching. And, I, I tweeted after the first muffed punt that uh, the Broncos are 28th in special teams DV, uh, DVOA, according to Football Outsiders. You jokingly replied saying, now they're 32nd. And when the rankings come out today on FBO, I, I think I think you might be right. And And special teams, it's really just two things. It's depth and it's coaching. And if you don't have both of those things, you're in deep shit. Do you know that that guy, speaking to the coaching of the special teams on Denver, that the guy who returns the punts, that's his fifth muff punt this year? Like, how does that guy have a job? Why are you putting that guy back there? <laughs> that's your fault. I mean, listen, he just might not be able to physically catch a ball when it's falling 60 feet out of the sky or whatever it is. And then Collinsworth, Collinsworth gives him, him back there every single time. Collinsworth gives him the cop out of... Uh, I forget the gentleman, Ryan something, the left left-footed punter as as Belichick does because the ball does spin differently off of uh, a left-footed punter and it, it is a little nightmarish for the returner, but you knew you were playing this fucking guy all week. Like you should expect that spin on the ball. Somebody should be using one of the ball machines and in reversing it or doing something to give a different spin. Like this guy had to have been prepared for this moment, I hope. So that can't be the excuse. It's just poor execution and has to be poor coaching on that side of the ball, which is really uh, annoying. Oh, it's it's horrible. And also to your point, I mean, listen, the the defense is bad in New England, but they're they're just practicing the bend don't break mentality. And you saw it in that game. They just, they, I mean, they gave up a ton of yards. Manny Sanders went nuts, right? But the, the Broncos got down to the twenty yard line. They got into the red zone, and then they just fizzled out three. What was it three times and just kicked field goals? I mean, you can't do that against the Patriots. You just can't do that. Field goals aren't going to win the game, number one. And, and and you just can't, even if you are you getting there, you have to put the ball in the end zone. You can't just fizzle out to fourth down. You have to be able to get the ball in on first, second, and third down and not even be faced with that decision on fourth down to go for it or to kick the field goal. So just the fact that, you know, the, the Patriots, yeah, their defense is not that good. And you will run across teams every now and then that will end up being able to put the ball in the end zone. But it's just the bigger picture is bend, don't break, let the other team screw up, and that's what they did many times. Can that be a skill, though? Can, can the don't break part be a skill? Can you play better? Can you scheme better in the red zone? This is just a philosophical question. Defense does get easier, as crazy as it sounds, in the red zone because the field becomes compressed. You only have to defend so many yards behind you. So you can get safeties in the box. Uh, you can do more creative things on defense. So I can kind of understand the concept of not breaking, 
But at some point, it just has to be variance that they're quote unquote bending but not breaking, right? I, I don't, I can't comprehend that being an actual skill. No, I know. I mean, if it, it, the, the scheme overall, if you watch New England's defense, they don't ever really take any chances and they tend to drop off a little bit more. You know, they, they do not like to get play, uh, beat deep. Last year, that was a huge thing. You know, their defense last year wasn't that good, but they didn't never got beat deep ever. Uh, this year, they were getting beat deep a lot at the beginning of the season, but they seem to have turned that around um, and just sort of that. Um, I believe it's Troy Brown that used to say it is just get the fuck back mentality is that's what they do. They're always, they always keep the receiver or, you know, the pass catcher in front of them instead of behind them at all times, or at least they try to, and they don't give up those big plays. So you're not going to see the Patriots get a ton of interceptions because they don't jump routes. They don't try and do that sort of thing. Um, But when it gets down to the nitty gritty, like you said, the field gets compressed in the red zone. It's much easier to, to cover people when people are running all over the field. And then also you just, I mean, the other, other teams are stupid. They're just, they're always dumb. They, they do really dumb are. things all the time. How are there three good coaches in the league? I don't even know who the three are. I, I three, I know Belichick's a good coach. I know Mike Zimmer's, I, but I don't know if Mike Zimmer's a good in-game coach. I don't know. I've never, he's never, I, I've never seen the Vikings in a situation where, there needs to be great decision making. He he's a great preparation coach. I'll give him that. But I've never seen him in a crunch time situation. Same thing right now with uh, the two new guys that I'm that I'm swooning over, Shanahan and McVay. Preparation wise and scheme wise, especially because offense is so important now, I think they're doing great. But I've never seen them in a crunch time moment have to make a decision, have to game plan at halftime and change what they're doing. The only person that does that in the league is Bill Belichick. Well, Shanahan, you saw a little bit of his his crunch time mentality last year in the Super Bowl. Yeah, that's a good Second point. Second in mentality, three minutes left, and the guy decides to drop back and pass. Like, dude, what are you doing? Call a running play. That's a good point. I mean, but that's also on the coach who needs to be on the headset and be like, oh, wait, you're calling what? Yeah, run the no. fucking ball. No, 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 no. I'm overruling you here. I'm using the veto power, and you are running the ball. Maybe they gave Sarkeesian the headset early. Maybe maybe, maybe yeah. Shanahan started popping some bubbly, and and Sark sipped some and was like, "Let's just start, keep passing." And whatever the whatever your hierarchy is in terms of head coaches in the NFL, whether it's top five, top three, top ten, whatever it is, the gap between Belichick and number two is insane. Yeah, wider than the Grand Canyon. Let's get to the main slate on Sunday. That was our first loss, and let's get to a game that you did everything in your power to try to get off of the card. You fired your veto unsuccessfully. I will say you do have a free steal from Mo with no consequences, so keep that in your back pocket. But you took the Bucks off the card, and you put the Jets on. Thankfully, Bert Minotti, the god, fired his veto successfully, removing his bills who got mollywopped at home by who I think could be the best team in the league. I'm going to keep asking that question. And he put the Bucks back in the card. The Bucks win outright 15-10. to 10. Super ugly game in uh, the western part of Florida there in Tampa. It was spitting the entire game. Uh, I'm not going to say the weather was an excuse because the quarterback play here was about as bad as possible. But just like we said, Jets no business being road favorites. I, I, I can't stress enough. If this line, if this game was week one and all of the preconceived notions of the Jets were there and all of the hard knocks hype for Tampa was there, 
the Bucks would have been minus nine, minus uh, more than a touchdown, whether it be seven and a half, eight, nine against the Jets. And then all of a sudden the Jets 10 point swing, their road favorites. That was a joke line DP. I can't believe you didn't see it. This was a slam dunk cover. I mean, I was wrong. What do you want me to say? But I didn't try and put the Jets on the card. I tried to put the skins on the card. That's correct. Sorry, 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 sorry. You, 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 your faith in the Jets, your selection of the Jets led you to putting the race. The reason I took them off or wanted to take the Bucks off is because I just I think the Bucks are a joke, and I, I and I still think that they're a joke. I just think that the Jets didn't show up, so that doesn't necessarily change my thought on the on the Bucks because I think that they're really bad. Um, but yeah. Just a really ugly game. We should have, oh man, we, we we should have stuck to our guns in games like this too and taken the Niners as well. It's just, the, these teams have no business being road favorites in professional football. It. I understand the Niners were horrifying. I understand what you're saying about the Bucks. Nobody has railed harder against Ryan Fitzpatrick than yours truly. I don't think there's a soul on planet Earth that has rained down judgment on the powder keg as frequently as I. But you still got to take the spot. You still got to take the Niners there. And I'm I'm mad at myself for taking the Giants. I'm mad we didn't have the Niners on the card. That too was a slam dunk. These teams, you just can't make them road favorites in professional football, DP. You can't do it. I mean, the only thing there is that there's... I mean, I, at least I think there's something to be said about the Niners just actually not trying and, and like trying to get. And this was an interesting game because if the Niners do lose, they maintain that that number one overall seed to get the number one draft. That's my point is the, the coaches and the players will never do that. Never, ever, ever, because they're coaching and playing for their livelihood. The guys in the front office, they might plan that way. They might hope it goes one way. But the guys that are actually out there coaching and playing for their jobs, for their lives, to make sure that there's food on the table, they're never going to quit. It's just never going to happen. I, I hear you, but I mean, I don't fully believe it, but I mean, I understand. So that was our first win on Sunday. Let's go to a loss. You brought it up briefly there. You put the slurs on the card, plus one at home. This game was crazy. I don't think anybody in their right mind predicted, you know what, total shootout, 38-30. to 30. This game's going to flirt with a 70-point total. But alas, Case Keenum goes out, throws for 304 and four touchdowns. Kirk Cousins on the other end throws for 327, only finds the end zone once. This game was, was nuts. I, I, I'm disappointed that uh, the Slurs defense played as poorly as they did, but I can't knock them too hard because the Vikings offense was insanely efficient. Keenum was 21 of 29 getting to that 304, so more than 10 yards per attempt. Diggs and Thielen, I mean, are they the best one-two punch at receiver in the league? They might be. This team was really humming on offense. I I don't know what Washington could have done. I just think they ran to a buzzsaw on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, Minnesota seemed to be, you know, just kicking and screaming and just, just they, they weren't, they weren't going to let up that whole game. Um, I mean, the 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 end result was what thirty eight to thirty, so eight points. I mean, but 
I don't think it was that close. <laughs> I mean, even I mean that's still a big gap, but I don't think it was that close. It was the game was thirty-eight to twenty-one, I believe, at one point towards the end, and then you know Washington scored a little bit. But I mean, God, the Redskins, man! Every week it's just like I, this team. I know they're better than they are. I know they are, but I just they can't put it together. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's their coach. It definitely could be their coaching, and they just might not be a good team. I, I really thought that they'd be better than they are. I made the point on Friday to talk about their losses and how they've lost against good teams. I don't think you can pick out a performance that they've had against a bad team, and this includes the Vikings. I mean, the Vikings are one of the best teams in the league. We talked about it earlier in the season, Case Keenum specifically, how good can this team be with Case? And DP, at this point, I don't think they can go to Bridgewater. I think you have to ride Case out. He's played really, really well. Yeah, I do think you have to, to ride Case out, at least until he you know, turns into that pumpkin that he can easily turn into. Uh, I mean, we, we've seen Case Keenum over several years in the NFL, and you know he does have that ability to become Ryan Fitzpatrick and just turn into a total powder keg out there. Um, but he hasn't shown that this year. He shows that he he knows what he's doing. He understands how to command the offense. He has a really good rapport with his receivers. Um, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't have expected this after Dalvin Cook went out uh, just because they become a little bit more one-dimensional than they are. Um, but in that regard, you know, Jarek McKinnon's done done really well, uh, you know, these last couple of weeks uh, since since Dalvin Cook went out. And, and Diggs and Thielen, I mean, they're – those guys are great, man. So I, I think that they're all right to just roll with Case Keenum at least until it gets really, really, really bad. Um, it'll also be, even if it gets really bad, I mean, it's going to be hard to take Teddy Bridgewater and just throw him in and be like, hey, you know, get on the same page with these guys and it's week 15. So I think that they're just going to have to go with Keenum, you know, barring injury until the end of the season, whatever that may be. And, and hopefully we get uh, a decent playoff run out of this team. But I, I feel like the, I feel like the ceiling for the Vikings is this, right? Like I just don't think that they're really gonna make any sort of splash come the postseason. And wait, isn't I don't know, the, isn't I, piling thirty eight points in the road a splash? This team is really fucking good. Yeah, but I, I'm starting to question if the Redskins are anything. I'm just. Again, you the know. Redskins' losses, uh, the, the Slurs' losses have not been bad. They, it's not like they're losing the bad teams. Yeah, I mean, I know. I don't know. There's something about the the Vikings. I feel like I feel like a lot about the Chiefs in the AFC, where like the Chiefs, they do very well every single AFC, and then they just get to the playoffs, and they just totally suck for whatever reason. Buddy, the Chiefs are demonstrably better than the Patriots. Oh, okay, we'll see what happens when they blow their dicks off. Like normal. We saw what happened week one. They went into Foxborough in a game where New England had months to prepare. They were celebrating a Super Bowl, and they got mollywopped at home. Yeah, that's week one, bud. Try it in week 20. It's going to be hard to go to Arrowhead. It will be hard to go to Arrowhead, but you know, if anyone's going to have a nice brown stain running down his leg, it's going to be Andy Reid. <laughs> uh, are the Jags better than the Patriots? No, stop. They, I mean, on defense, they're insanely better. They got the best but, unit on the field. They they do have the best unit on the field. See, now the thing is, is that I don't, 
the thing that we can't quantify ahead of time, and we can talk X and as X's and O's, you know, we can say they have this much talent on defense, the Patriots have this on this on offense, et cetera, is the preparation that we t- let off the show with between Belichick and Brady and just how they're every time they are able to go against really good defenses, they tend to do all right even if it is not on par with what we've seen from them in the past, because they can scheme things correctly and they know how to do things. And the Patriots are really good at always doing whatever is going to make them succeed. So if that's handing the ball off 35 times, if that's handing the ball off five times and just throwing it all over the field, if that's having Brady and shotgun, if that's controlling the tempo, putting him under sender and, and taking the game slow. So they'll, they're, they're never going to, the Patriots are never going to go into a game and just say, this is what we do. The other team is going to have to adjust to us. They attack weaknesses. So I can never put it past Bill Belichick to see weaknesses that other coaches don't see and attack those weaknesses on the opposing defense, even if the defense is really good. So we could see that. So I'm not going to put it out of the realm of possibility that the Patriots play the Jaguars and just destroy them. Speaking of teams that are going to piss their pants in the playoffs, we'll go to Indy now where we had the Colts plus 10. Total slam dunk. Didn't even need to watch the game. Turn on something else. Nearly won outright. Should have won outright against a Pittsburgh team that, talk about preparation, continues to be the worst road favorites in the history of professional football. They totally sleepwalk through the first half and through most of the second half and then turn it on in the fourth quarter, scoring 11 unanswered ports in the fourth frame and win 20 to 17 but we lock up the cover early no real sweat here dp what's going on here like how can this team consistently be unprepared in these situations and cough them up i mean i i honestly i think it's the quarterback i mean ben roethlisberger what he's horrifying this year is he not 236 yards on 31 attempts, and he's throwing to Antonio Brown, Juju Smith-Schuster, and Martavis Bryant, and Le'Veon Bell out of the backfield. Yeah, it's it's like, how can you be this bad? How's that possible? I just, if you actually, I I tried to actually watch that game for about 10 minutes. You know, normally I'm just bouncing around off all different TVs, but I tried to actually concentrate on that game, and, and just watching it, Ben doesn't look the same. He looks like he's reluctant to just let it fly out there. I mean, there's always been those head scratchers with Ben Roethlisberger because he's always been overzealous um, with throwing and he's always tried to fit things into tight corners. He has that huge arm. He'll try and stand there in a pocket when three people are hanging off of him and complete passes. And this year, it just seems like he's just not really into it. Um, I don't know if, I, I mean, maybe the whole offseason talk about the the retirement thing was, was real and he wasn't just being a drama queen. And he was kind of, you know, had one foot out the door and now he's just kind of going through the motions. And that's kind of what it looks like. I mean, I don't, I'm not, I'm not sure you can sit Ben Roethlisberger down. I don't think that that's a possibility, but he needs to get his shit together because they have a ton of talent on the offensive side of the ball. Their defense is playing all right. And it just seems like it's the quarterback. In addition to all those weapons that I, rattled off. I was going to mention the O-line, but I hadn't looked at the numbers in a while, and I was worried that I was just spitting uh, preconceived notions. But here it is. Pittsburgh not only leads the league in adjusted sack rate, they are so far in ahead. So adjusted sack rate, theirs is 2.6%. The mean, the average in the NFL 
is 6.8. Bad teams are in like the 8s, 9s, and 10s. Like, what? What's, hap- what's happening here? How can this be possible? How can they be playing this bad? It doesn't make any sense. I mean, normally you see every week you come out of, a, a, you know, the NFL slate and Ben Roethlisberger is in the conversation for having one of the best weeks as a quarterback every single week. I mean, isn't that what we've always become accustomed to? And it's simply because of the weapons that he has and he can go off for 350 or 400 yards and three touchdowns because he's throwing to all those weapons you mentioned led by Antonio Brown, who can go off for, you know, a buck 80 at any given time. But this year it's like, wait, why does Ben have 12 DraftKings points? What the hell is happening? You know, it just, it seems so out of character for them, but I mean, they're, they're, they're struggling, man. They're, they're really struggling and they're seven and two, but they're struggling. Yeah, they're the AFC is so so bad, so bad. the The sixth seed in the AFC, I mean, the Bills are the sixth seed right now, right? I mean, if I got that correct, y- yeah. I mean, the, yeah, I think so. That's horrifying. <laughs> the, yeah, and and if the Bills played, if the Bills played the Steelers today. I, honestly, I I can see that game going either way. Of course, <laughs> like, I mean, I can see the Bills winning thirty to seventeen. I could see the Steelers winning thirty-one to fourteen. I could see anything happening in that game. I, you know, I would I would not say that. Oh yeah, you know, the Bills middle of the pack and, and the Steelers at the top of the pack. The Steelers are going to win that game handedly. No, that could easily not happen. Mo made this point in the Skype chat, and I I saw it on Twitter yesterday as well. There are only five teams in the AFC that have a positive points differential. The Titans, who are a playoff team currently leading the AFC South, have been outscored by their opponents by eight points, and the Bills have been outscored by their opponents. Granted, that Saints blowout really plays into it a lot. They've been outscored by their opponents by 12 points. Five teams in the entire conference have outscored their opponents. Crazy. That's amazing. (laughs) Crazy. Last game on the slate. I really like this side going in. Brett, I mean, just plops it at number one because he's just a boss. He is the absolute goat. And then Tyron Smith is ruled out heading into the game. All world left tackle for Dallas. Man, I had such a good feeling about Atlanta. And they came through and they really blew doors against the Cowboys. 27-7. to And they did so... All while our DFS hopes and dreams were flushed down the toilet with Devonta Freeman suffering a concussion in the first moments of the contest. But there really was no contest for Dallas. Dak Prescott goes out and throws for 5.9 yards per attempt. Alf actually has a pretty good day with 53 yards on 11 carries. But the game got out of hand so they couldn't get their bread and butter rolling. They couldn't commit to the run and as it's been uh, documented the entire week, uh, the left tackle position was a complete turnstile. And we saw an unbelievable performance from Adrian Claiborne. I, I don't care if the left tackle was a backup, if he was struggling, but a six-sack performance is nuts. And Mr. Claiborne racked up $750,000 in bonuses by getting those six sacks. If I remember correctly, if he gets to 12 this season, he's going to make $2 million in bonuses. So this is a massive contest 
uh, for the Claiborne family. Congrats to that guy for, for balling out on Sunday. But an, another really no sweat here from Atlanta, DP. Even with a hobbled Julio, uh, took care of business at home. This is their second impressive win against an NFC team. Uh, the Packers were... They struggled a little bit. They had some injuries during the game, if I remember correctly, to both Jordy and Devontae Adams. But entering the game, they were at full strength. The Cowboys definitely had a few chinks in their armor, but the Falcons handled their business. Uh, this game, not not much to analyze here, but moving forward, both of these teams are very interesting. Uh, Atlanta, have they... Have they bounced back a little bit, DP? We knew they were going to regress, and they did so. You you have to regress from being the best offense in the history of football outsiders to closer to the mean, and they've done that. But are they going to bounce back a little bit? Uh, is this a team that can be a contender in the NFC? I don't know, man. I think I need to see more than just one week, both sides, uh, speaking to Dallas and to Atlanta. Uh, so... Dallas, I mean, I need to see if they can do anything without Zeke. I mean, is it really that Zeke is that whole offense? I mean, it can't be. Come on. You guys are an NFL team. You have Des Bryant. You have Dak Prescott, who a lot of people like. I don't really think that he's that good. And maybe this is just, you know, that notion just coming to fruition and really showing itself because Dak did not look good without Zeke. And I guess at the end of the day, (laughs) Dallas is really the only team in the NFL where it's run first and everything else, a very, very, very distant second. Uh, and then, and in terms of the Falcons, I mean, they have a huge test this week, um, which is going to be very interesting when they go up to Seattle and have to play the Seahawks who haven't been overly impressive this year. And they have a ton of injuries, especially on the defensive side of the ball, but going up the century link and having to play in that environment against that team, I still think it's a big test. So I'm going to sort of defer my thoughts until until after next week, and we'll see what happens. Cowboys are in trouble. Because even when Tyron Smith comes back, how healthy is he going to be? Is he going to be at, at 100%? Is he going to be able to perform? This isn't a Zeke thing. And the public consciousness is, of course, going to point to 21 and his absence in the fact that they're struggling. But this is not... Zeke thing. Tyron Smith is so good and so important to the continuity of that line, to the protection of Dak Prescott, to the overall functionality of that offense. And without a healthy offensive line, without their anchor on that left-hand side, they're in a world of hurt. And while the AFC is a dumpster fire, we ran through it. The NFC is just full of really talented teams. And the Cowboys are distancing themselves from the playoffs with every single loss that they rack up at this point. And that, that Falcon Seahawks should be very interesting because the Seahawks, I mean, Shaq Griffin's going to be their number one corner now with the uh, ruptured Achilles to Sherm. And that guy's played great, but now you got Julio Jones coming to town. <laughs> Good luck, buddy. Good luck. Yeah, with it's going to be a super interesting game. I mean, even if we're not picking it in the super contest, just watching that game. And I think it's going to be a, a lot of fun. For sure. Well, we faded some bad quarterback play this weekend, DP. We even got we got covers from Ryan Fitzpatrick and Jacoby Brissett. So bad quarterback play has kind of been our bread and butter. And we're going to have a new segment going forward. Not not this week, but just a teaser. 
and it's going to be our bad quarterback selection of the week. Who had the worst quarterback performance in the National Football League? But we need you all, fans of the collective, to help us pick a name for this segment. So go to Twitter, at GridironGamble, and we will have a poll there pinned up to the top. Uh, If you're using TweetDeck, do some scrolling. It'll be there somewhere. And we're going to have four quarterbacks that during our time podcasting have been abhorrent, have been as bad as possible, the total votes. And we will need you guys to pick the one that you think is the worst to headline the segment. So this segment will be named after one of these bad quarterbacks, and it is up to you to decide. And in the vein of bad quarterbacks, DP, we've got the prizes ready for our raffle that you're going to tell the people about. And if you have never heard of the raffle, let me explain it to you. Every week, we ask the fans to submit one pick against the Super Contest spread. So last week, if you really liked the Bucks, if you were sharp like us, you took the two and a half, you would tweet at us at Gridiron Gamble and say, Bucks plus two and a half, or you would send us an email, gridirongamble at podcast.com, and do the same. We would then, if you got it right, give you one virtual raffle ticket. And at the end of the year, we are going to select four names and send them some fun stuff. Uh, obviously, the more games you get right, the more raffle tickets you will receive. And it's just a fun free roll for you guys as listeners. And it's a way for us to give back for all the amazing support that you guys give us throughout the year. Uh, and uh, yeah, we had a lot of fun with this last year. One of my high school buddies actually won. Shout out to T Park. Uh, he got the old Cade McCown McDown jersey, that ugly Browns jersey, and we got some uglies to give away this year. DP, what are the four packages uh, that we'll be giving to the fans? So we're gonna do uh, included in every package will be a Gridiron Gamble T-shirt, um, and that'll be the consistent uh, package piece throughout the four prizes. And then the other things. Uh, we're going to mix and match. Each one is going to have one jersey from a bad quarterback, as Rich said, and the other, and also a sports gambling or sports betting book. Um, not necessarily a book that really teaches you how to sports bet, um, but more of just a fun thing about the culture of sports betting. And these are some really cool books um, that I've I've read. I think that they're a lot of fun. I think that a lot of people will really appreciate them. So in terms of the jerseys, we have Rich's favorite, Jay Cutler with a different haircut, Carson Palmer. Carson. Uh, a nice uh, Arizona Cardinals jersey. Um, we got Blake Bortles. I mean, he's just a podcast favorite, right? Bortles that service. Uh, Eli Manning. How can you just not love Eli Manning? Unfortunately, the jersey doesn't come with the Eli Manning face. That's just how it is. But Eli Manning jersey nonetheless. And then the Red Rocket, Andy Dalton, who just seems to get worse and worse every single year. So those are the four bad quarterback jerseys that we'll be giving out to four people. We'll pair those with... Uh, one book each. The the four books are we don't I don't know what sort of order we'll do it yet or, or how we'll pair them up. But the books are uh, Roll the Bones: The History of Gambling, which is just kind of a general look at the history of gambling in Las Vegas in the U.S. Really fun book uh, to check out. Uh, Good teams win, great teams cover, and underdogs tale of life gambling and sharp sports betting. Uh, that's from our friend Pat Haggerty. If you guys listened to the show last year, you know that uh, Pat donates some books to us. Um, and, and we gave them out on the podcast, really fun book, uh, really entertaining. Um, it does, it does teach you some things along the way, but it does so in a way where it's not, you know, a, just a strategy and advice book. 
Um, and you can check out Pat's website, uh, fishy5.com. Um, if you guys want to do that, he's he's pretty good at uh, picking the picking the unprofessional games, Rich, which uh, we don't really dive into too much. Um, and then uh, the third book, it's called Smart Money, How the World's Best Sports Betters Beat the Bookies Out of Millions. If you guys are familiar with the MIT Blackjack team um, and what they did, this is a similar sort of tale, um, but based around sports betting. And then last, the fourth book is from a podcast favorite of ours, Mr. Chad Millman, formerly of ESPN. Now he's doing his own thing over at the Action Network. It's called The Odds, One Season, Three Gamblers, and the Death of Their Las Vegas. I've not, I've yet to read The Odds, which is depressing because I love Chad. I love Scooch. I love Alan Boston. I'm sure I'd love the Stardust if that was still a thing. It is really depressing. I, I actually, I, I want to take umbrage with your Dalton selection. I, I think you unfairly placed him with the bad quarterbacks. No, he's a fucking joke, man. Get out of here. Get out of here. Poor dandy Andy. All right, let's hand it over to Bert Minotti, who, as always, has three fantasy takeaways from the week that was both DFS and season-long. The playoffs are right around the corner for you season-long folks, so listen in. Get ready. Here they are. Bert Minotti's fire takes. Hey guys, Brett here to give you three fantasy football takeaways from week 10 of the NFL season. Number one, the running back carousel continues to orbit in Green Bay. Aaron Jones started on Sunday, left with an MCL injury. He's out three to six weeks. Ty Montgomery entered in relief. He then exited with a rib injury and is questionable for week 11. So we're back to Jamal Williams as the likely lead back. He ran 20 times for 67 yards against the Bears on Sunday. And while those numbers don't blow the roof off the building, he's still likely in for a solid workload this week. And really, that's the most important thing to factor in fantasy football. Volume. If, he, if he's available on your waiver wire, do everything you can to grab him this week. That means spending a large percentage of your fab budget if you're in that system. There's only a handful of weeks left in the season and very few opportunities to spend those dollars. This is a great week to do it. Go after Jamal Williams in waivers. Staying on that running back carousel theme, Rex Burkhead looks to be the flavor of the week in New England, coming off a season-high 36 snaps and 63 yards from scrimmage, plus a touchdown against Denver on Sunday night. He had as many snaps as Deion Lewis and James White combined, and Mike Gillisley was a healthy scratch and appears to have fallen out of the rotation completely for the Patriots. Rex does it all for the Pats, special teams included. You're likely to see him used in a variety of ways going forward. That means more time on the field and ultimately more fantasy points. If for some reason Rex Burkhead is a free agent in your league, go grab him. I know I was saying the same thing about Deion Lewis a few weeks ago, but really it's it's the hot hand in, in New England. It, it could be Burkhead going forward. So he's a great pickup this week. And if you play DFS, keep him on your radar as well, especially in full PPR formats like DraftKings. Number three, if you're a Melvin Gordon owner and watched his backup Austin Eckler score a pair of touchdowns on Sunday, don't panic. Gordon still had 21 touches in that game to Eckler's 15, and the uptick in Eckler's usage was likely matchup driven against a Jaguars team that doesn't allow downfield passes. So a lot more work for Eckler in the short passing game. Gordon's going to be fine down the stretch. He's got 
Great matchups coming up against Buffalo, Dallas, and Cleveland over the next three games. This is a great time to pounce on Melvin Gordon, especially in DFS. And if you're able to swing a trade in season-long leagues, that's a great way to go as well. And we are back. Thank you, Mr. Manati, for those fantasy takes. DP, let's peek ahead to week 11 of the NFL season. You're using the Westgate lines. I'm using the Pinnacle lines. These are initial leans. If It's funny if you listen back to last week's recap podcast. I think both of us were surprised and leaning towards one side of a game and ended up going on the total opposite. Uh, for me, it was that Giants game. I, man, I should just point my gut. I knew it was a total clown joke disaster that they were road favorites in the NFL, and I, to- I still clicked them. I, I, I let Brett get me excited about the Giants. You and Brett get me excited about the Giants offense instead of you know trusting my read and just picking the home dog. So I'm glad we do this exercise. I'm glad we do a quick look ahead. Uh, what game or games stuck out to you at first glance for the Week 11 lines? Um, well, the Giants game, number one, stuck out to me. Uh, that's Westgate has that as the Chiefs are 10.5 point favorites, and I get it. The Chiefs are way better, but I don't know. It seems a tad bit high, not too high, because once you get up that high, it's kind of a moot point. Um, but I had that down around eight, so two and a half points up there. Um, just seems a bit high for me, but. Who knows? The Giants will probably just not even show up. Um, the other game uh, is the Thursday night game, and I, we don't pick the Thursday night game, but I, I just I can't. The Steelers are seven-point favorites. I don't think the Steelers should be seven-point favorites against anyone. Maybe the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, that that game. Really- I mean, listen, the Titans aren't that good, but the, the Steelers, come on. The uh, That game stuck out to me at first, but I was... <laughs> I'm so scared of that Titans defense. I really am. Especially, you got Steelers coming off of uh, a a close win where it seems like they might have been peeking ahead and totally sleepwalking. This feels like come home, Heinz Field, short week and a travel week for the Titans who are not good at football. You click on Thursday night and the Steelers win 31-10. to So, while I was surprised by this line... I just I just see so many outcomes here where the Steelers blow doors because <laughs> the Titans are not good. Could it could very well happen. Let me tell you this. I, I think uh if you are of the teaser mentality, this is a great week for teasers. There are four games currently sitting at seven, seven and a half, and there's actually one at one too. So if you like the dog in that spot, this is a great teaser week. And teasing the Steelers down to one feels like free money. You know, feel, feels like you can win a ton by getting them down to one. Uh, so just throwing that out there. Uh, Giants. Giants, Chiefs, very interesting to me. We've seen the gambling market really mature over the last couple of years. I think looking at the Super Contest and how sharp some of the picks are, despite the contest scaling to massive proportions, shows how much... Gambling has seeped into the public and their thought process and the way that they watch the game. And to that point, have we overcorrected too much for the Andy Reid coming off a bye narrative? He is goat off the bye. He 
gets his team prepared. It's some insane record. I don't know it off the top of my head, dating back to Philadelphia, where he just comes off the bye and just thrashes teams. I'm sure his ATS record is similarly good. So have we overcorrected for that, DP? Is that is that one of the things at play here? Uh, I mean, yeah, it very well could be. I mean, it's just, you know, it's obviously a combination of things, and I think that that's one pretty heavily weighted thing is that the Chiefs coming off a bye always just, they go nuts, and they look really good this year. Um, and, you know, just couple that with the fact that the Giants have looked absolutely horrible <laughs> and lost the 49ers last week. That seems but 10 points, man. 10 and a half. Opened that's a, a lot of points. Open to 11, too. That's like, I mean, I get it. The Giants are really, really bad, but I mean, man. This could be single digits by the next time we discuss this game. It is 10 and a half minus 116 currently on Pinnacle. Uh, I don't know how much of a lean I'm going to have in this game, but I think this is my most favorite game of the season so far. We've got the Rams traveling to Minnesota to play the Vikings, two of my favorite teams in the league. I think McVay is doing an amazing job. We've always loved Zimmer, especially at home. And this line, man, uh, does the public love... So they hang two and a half for the Vikings, which screams... Please, please, please bet the Vikings. Take the two and a half. But I don't know if this is Vegas wanting people to take the two and a half because they want the other side. Sometimes Vegas, they want a side in the game. So they hang a line that they know the public is going to smash the other side and they try to print. Much to the surprise to some people, Vegas isn't always out to just get the VIG. They sometimes pick a side and want the public to go the other way. They're okay with having some sharps win some money on the same side as them, but if they can get an 80-20 ticket count and be on the other side and win, that that's glorious for them. And this is a scenario where, at first glance, I'm like, wow, Vegas really wants me to bet Minnesota. Do they love the Rams that much? But what I think is happening here is that the Rams are such a public team now that what Vegas and Pinnacle are saying is, please, please, please take the Vikings because we're going to have a 10-to-1 ticket count on the Rams. What do you think about that, DP? I totally agree. Uh, I looked at this line, too, and, you know, at the Westgate, it's at at, uh, Vikings minus two right now. And I said, wow, they, you know, normally you'd just hang the three here, wouldn't you? But I was like, no, that seems like they really want us to take the Vikings. But I was like, wait, aren't the Rams a massively public team right now? They've been... The Rams have been putting up 50 points every week. They look like the Falcons did last year. I mean, they're just running around doing whatever they want on offense against whoever they want. And, you know, yeah, the Vikings looked good last week and they put up 38 points like we talked about earlier. But in terms of who saw what game and who saw who do what, I think there were a lot more eyeballs on the Rams and there are always a lot more eyeballs on the Rams this year as opposed to the Vikings. Um, So I think that if you're going to weigh the public, I think the public is going to be heavily on the Rams here. It's crazy, man. This is, uh, and again, I don't know how heavily I'm going to lean in it. My every fiber within me says Rams have won two consecutive games by infinity. The Vikings are the goatest home team against the spread. I mean, they're above seventy percent with Zimmer as head coach against the spread at home, and we're get we're hanging less than a field goal. Seems like a slam dunk spot, but I don't know. I I, I don't know where I'm going to ultimately fall in this game. I'm going to pick the Vikings at this number, uh, but I just don't know where I'm going to rank them in my own card. 
And then finally, this game, we talked about Washington earlier. Well, I got two games it's at, at a touchdown that I'm interested in. Saints uh, slurs. It is minus 7.5 in New Orleans. And then Raiders-Patriots neutral field. That game is being played in Mexico City. The Patriots are laying seven points. Um, let's start with Washington, New Orleans. Why is it only seven and a half? Like, I wrote down minus ten. This and, this is I'm like this is you have to bet the Saints. They're gonna destroy this team. That's what gets me worried. This is a Vegas spot where this is I this is their reindeer games. This is reindeer games by Las Vegas. Who? I mean, listen, this is uh, you, you've been high on the Saints for these past couple of weeks. Okay. You've come around a lot sooner. You've jumped on the bag and rang it a lot sooner than, than the rest of us in the collective. This, this to me, I'm now starting to come back and decide if I should change my mind and decide that the Saints are the best team in the NFL. This is the week I decide. If the Saints blow doors, then they are the best team in the NFL. Okay. But if they win by two if they lose the game for whatever reason then i'm just like they're the fucking saints they're the stupid <laughs> saints right so I, I i'm going into this game like okay the saints i think that this line at seven and a half is too low i wrote down minus 10 saints should win this game by 14 and if they don't win this game by 14 then there's an issue who blows the steelers saints two team tees i mean it could be both of them <laughs> You could you could hedge the two team tees by taking a small uh, money line parlay on the Colts or, or sorry on the uh, who, the Redskins and the Titans. That, that you this, just bet five bucks on it, and you'll make all your money back. This line makes no sense to me, none whatsoever. I'm perplexed by seven and a half in this spot. I, I'm not confident. Wouldn't it be seven and a half in Washington? I'm not confident in anything uh, on this card right now where I'm going to place it, except that I know that this game I'm probably going to put last because that line stinks to holy hell. Well, who is not going to click Saints? Like, what What person that is watching professional football isn't going to go to the window, stare up at the board of green and yellow lights, stumble upon Saints slurs, and not bet New Orleans? I don't see how you can not bet New Orleans. I mean, the Saints are a super public team. It's only the touchdown and a hook. I mean, it's just this one. Like you said, Rich, it smells. It smells really bad. And let's wrap it up with Raiders-Patriots. This is another... This feels a little low to me. Seven points. I know Oakland's coming off the bye, but they're playing in Mexico, so no home field advantage for Oakland. The Patriots were just... Minus seven and a half on the road against Denver, which would have made them minus 14 and a half at home. This spread only means that they would be minus 10 at home against an Oakland team that's been pretty freaking bad this season. This is another one where isn't every human on the planet going to bet New England? 83% of the public is betting the Patriots, how can they only hang seven in the spot, DP? Well, Westgate's hung six and a half, well, which there, there seems even worse. Yeah, how is if eighty? How are you not giving a touchdown? <laughs> yeah, if eighty-three percent is on the seven, I can only imagine ninety-nine percent being on the six and a half. 
I was a little bit high on this one as well. I had it at minus eight for the Patriots. Uh, I'm happily betting the Patriots here. Uh, one of the biggest things that sticks sticks out to me is, you know, Collinsworth, and they talked about it a little bit on uh, Sunday Night Football, is the, the preparation element. So New England just played in Denver, where they play at a very high altitude. This game against Oakland is in Mexico City at a very high altitude. So what are the Patriots doing this week? They are staying in Denver to practice there all week to acclimate themselves to the elevation that they're going to have to play with in Mexico City, which I I mean, I've never heard of a team doing that before, and it just could simply be the fact that it's the way the schedule lined up. Um, but to take advantage of that, I think just, again, speaks to the preparation level that the Patriots are willing to go to and they will be better prepared because of it. Who did Robert Kraft pay off to get back-to-back games at altitude? Yeah, I mean, him, he, I mean, isn't he on the financial committee with Robert Goodell and stuff? So who knows? <laughs> but it makes sense. I mean, you would—that's what you would do. Yeah, you're going to put the, your players in a little bit less comfort level because they got to be on the road for two straight weeks, and that's a, a bit annoying. But I mean, it's for the best thing of the team, you know, just to play in the altitude for all week, get used to it, figure it out. And then when you go down to Mexico city, you're, you're better off. So we mentioned St. Steelers, two team tees. We got the Patriots as well at seven. If you had to pick two, I know you're picking the Pats, but who are you pairing them with the Steelers or the Saints? Sounds like the Saints. Yeah. Um, yeah. That has to be the Saints. I just, I can't trust the Steelers. Who blows? Who blows the Pat Saints two team tees? I guess you're gonna say Saints. That seems I, like I actually think it could be the Patriots. No, yeah, yeah. No, Saints. I, I don't know. Fifty fifty. <laughs> What's the total gonna be in this Patriots Raiders game? Eighty. Well, yeah. What's the actual total? The total is yeah. fifty two. Yeah, 74, yeah. something like that. It's going to be a shit show. <laughs> it, it, this is going to look like Oklahoma State, Iowa State. I don't watch much unprofessed, but that game was basically whoever gets the first stop wins. And that's what happened. It was 49-42. I, I don't see either of these defense putting up any sort of great effort here. Uh, Oakland coming off the bye, they'll be a little bit better rested. That'll help them a bit, but... Doesn't matter. The Patriots, they're just a well oiled machine on offense, and they're going to find ways to move the ball. All right. So that is our look ahead for week 11. Be sure to join us on Thursday for the DFS podcast. Not a great week for Donnie's Pizza Party. We mentioned it earlier. Devonta Freeman, RIP. That uh, concussion really killed us. Even though, man, that CJ Bethard stack, Brett had Bethard, uh, Selleck, and Goodwin in a stack. That was a thing that happened. And Bethard threw a touchdown to both of those players and ran for a touchdown, had a great game. So brutal loss for for, uh, for Freeman there. Obviously, worry about the player, hope he's all right, but also brutal for fantasy purposes as well. So check that out on Thursday. Check out gridirongamble.com. The Moose of the Week will be up there. And there'll be more information about the contest, who is leading. Be sure to give Donnie a follow on Twitter, at Donnie underscore Peters. I'm at Rich T. Ryan. Hope you enjoy your Tuesday. Again, we'll see you on Thursday. Till then, peace out.